prayer. And this is not a new revelation. Most of us are not really very good at prayer. If not, uh, then our love for Christ and our dependence upon Him are often eclipsed by self-love and independence or self-dependence. You are what you are on your knees before God. That is who you really are. And so prayer has a way of stripping us of any kind of pretense because we know the one we're talking to knows us better than we know ourselves. And you can never do a con job on God. Never, ever. And so prayerlessness breeds among us in reality, a loss of integrity. If we're not enjoying communion with God, then we're really selling a product that we really, really don't believe in. And we find ourselves thrown to the tyranny of the urgent, busy all the time, and yet really going nowhere. And so speaking as one failure to another... I hope, as a result of this message, will be less Martha and more Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. And that's what I want to encourage all of us to do. We need a kickstart for our prayer life. And so the first question I would ask in this sermon is, what is prayer anyway? What is prayer? Prayer is conversation with God. That's all it is. It's talking to God. If I want to have a conversation with my wife, then I sit down with her. We usually make eye contact. We try to talk unless she's mad at me about something or I'm mad at her about something. Then there's not much talk, right? You don't say much. But when you're praying, and that's why some of us don't talk to God, by the way, because we're really angry at him. And angry has a, anger has a way of sapping your desire to communicate. You don't want to talk to people most of the time unless you're unloading something you should keep, if you're angry. And so the reason why our prayer lives suffer often is because I'm really not happy with how God is managing my life. And you know what worry is? Worry and fear and anxiety is nothing more than telling God, get off the throne and let me have it. But prayer is communication with God. It's talking with him it's listening to him as he speaks to us in the word but Michael Horton is right who I quoted earlier he's right in that the sacraments the word and the sacraments provoke in us or evoke in us a response toward God and so prayer is something that is necessary for any relationship to grow and when we're talking about prayer I don't want you to think about techniques or an app on your phone, or some kind of burden, burdensome duty. When I became a, a sort of recommitted Christian, I won't say new, a big moment of repentance in my life, I went to a church that handed out these manuals called the 2959 plan. I thought, what is this? So it was a daily devotional guide that you would spend time with God for 29 minutes and 59 seconds. And I have, to know, I have to tell you, after three minutes, I'm looking at my watch. Because I've said all I got to say. So I figured out there were other things in the book I could use to try to get my... But it became such a burdensome duty for me. It became something that guilted me every day. If I did not spend 29 minutes and 59 seconds in uh, quiet time with God... And by the way, quiet time is a misnomer. Uh, quiet time should be noisy time. 
It should be a time in which we talk loudly and pour out our souls uh, before God. At least that's how the psalmist did it. But I got in such bondage to this technique, this plan, and, and I, I felt like if I didn't do it, then bad stuff was going to happen to me. It's kind of like rubbing booty's t Buddha's tummy or something like that. It, it became a talisman for me. And, and, and I thought, boy, I didn't have my quiet time today. I didn't do my 29.59. Bad stuff is going to happen to me because God doesn't like that. And so prayer became burdensome for me. And rather than being a, an invitation to enjoy communion with God, it became a burdensome duty. And so I tried to learn how to pray, and I, I learned the, the formula, acts. You know what that is, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. And I went through all of that. But that seemed wooden and literal to me, and it didn't really address some of the ways I felt like I had to hurry through the other part to get to what I really wanted to say. And so... You're hearing all my angst about my prayer life, but that's good. Calvin says prayer is the primary way true faith expresses itself. Primary way true faith expresses itself. Prayerlessness is a sin. It is, in reality, practical atheism. And if you say you believe in God, let's say maybe practical deism. But it's practical atheism. If we never spend time speaking with God then our lives demonstrate that he's not really that important to what I'm about and to my story. And so, in reality, we need help. And we see how faithless we are. Our prayer life is disgustingly self-revealing, or lack thereof. That is, it reveals how much I really desire communion with God. How much I really depend on him. If prayer is the chief um, instrument or the chief exercising of faith, then the world and the flesh and the devil conspires against prayer. Martin Luther used to throw the inkwell at the devil. He said, if he could even get him to adjust a window shade instead of praying, you'll never be more distracted and never feel more of the oppression of the enemy than when you're trying to pray. Why? Because prayer causes your spiritual life to grow and to flourish. It is a way in which grace comes to us because the Bible tells us God resists the proud. He resists proud people. The God who spoke the world into existence, who has all power, all knowledge, resists the proud. Who are proud people? People who don't pray. People who don't pray, who depend, who live as if they depend upon themselves for the entirety of life. And so prayerlessness is revealing. And it is often the secret shame that many believers carry. We are sinners, naturally inclined away from God, inclined away from faith and prayer. And yet, always remember that Jesus is the friend of sinners. You're not odd. You're not weird. It's a struggle. I have a book in my library called The Struggle of Prayer. And that's one of the best books I've ever read on prayer by Donald Blesch. And, and he shows in that book how if you don't struggle with prayer, you're probably not praying at all. It's a struggle. It's a battle. It's warfare. 
And we run into the opposition of the world, our flesh, the devil, the demons, are all invisibly, though actively, engaged. And so we're all sinners. And I remember as a young minister trying to read all these great men who were such prayer warriors. Uh, One of them was E.M. Bounds, and I got every book E.M. Bounds ever wrote about prayer. And I read every book that he ever uh, penned and felt worse and worse and worse about my prayer life. And I would say it's going to be different this time, it's going to be better. But, you know, the Bible never says how long we're supposed to pray. It does say how often we're supposed to pray. We're supposed to pray without ceasing. And yet, these great prayer warriors, they're apocryphal. You know, Martin Luther used to say, or was said of him, and I'm not sure Luther ever said this, that he had so much to do in, in a day's time that he had to spend the first three hours in prayer. And when I hear that, that turns my bones into jelly. Uh, to prove we are all sinners and naturally awful at prayer, uh, Luther wrote back to his friend, Philip Melanchthon, this quote, and it was in the bulletin a few weeks ago. He says this to Melanchthon. He says, you extol me so much. Your high opinion of me shames and tortures me. Since unfortunately I sit here like a fool and hardened in leisure pray little. Do not sigh for the church of God. In short, I should be ardent in spirit, but I'm ardent in the flesh, in lust, laziness, leisure, sleepiness. Already eight days have passed in which I have written nothing, in which I have not prayed or studied. This is partly because of the temptations of the flesh, partly because I'm tortured by other uh, burdens. Luther, a man who valued prayer very highly, was a very real person, he was a very real sinner, and we all are. And so that should take something of the load off of us in a way. Prayer springs out of God's Word. As He speaks to us, then prayer is the chief exercise of faith. And where does faith come from? Romans 10, 17. So faith cometh through hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so faith and prayer are birthed, are given birth to in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel sits before us, Christ. And prayer is simply the articulation of our heart's response to the beauty and glory of the gospel of Christ. It awakens faith in us. It energizes us. It vitalizes us. And so, when we look at Jesus and his prayer life, he prays. Jesus is always praying. He's always full of joy. He agonizes over major decisions and spends a night in prayer. He teaches us to pray, as we saw in Luke's passage. The son was always dependent upon his father. For him, everything flowed from his own communion with God. And salvation means sharing in his communion with the father. One of the things that will help your prayer life is to understand what you're really doing when you're praying. You are participating in the communion between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You have been caught up in that as a result of being in union with Christ. And now when you pray, you are participating in that beautiful fellowship. And it is a joy to do so. We need a bigger 
understanding of what prayer actually is. But when we learn to pray to God as our Father, which is huge. Uh, in Luke chapter 11, Jesus says, Father. He begins the prayer by Father. The first basic lesson of prayer is that the Father's relationship he always had with his Son, he now shares with us. Our instinct when we think about God sometimes is he is so holy, so transcendent, so other that we cannot approach him and we're afraid to approach him and yet God has brought this holy, infinite, transcendent God to be my open-armed Father. Now the Father also loved me in giving his Son for me. But when we consider who he is, what has Jesus done? He has taken us up into himself in union with him. And now God becomes our Father. And so, he shares with us. Uh, Jesus commands us to pray to our Father. And to always remember that God is our Father. He delights to hear us. He delights to help us. When he uses in Luke chapter 11 the friend analogy, pleading for the friendship and friendly assistance of God, he's telling us that God desires fellowship with us. He wants time with me. He wants me to participate in the divine life. I mean, that is an amazing thing if you think about it. An amazing privilege that we have. That we're able to participate in that. If you think of God without Christ, then you may think of him as Lord and Judge. But if, if you think of God inside of Christ in union with him, then you remember he is a father and a friend who has his arms open wide as a father toward us. J.I. Packer said this, he said, God delights to hear us. He delights to help us. He has willing and attentive, attentive kindness toward us. Packer says, you can judge how well a person understands Christianity by finding out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and his prayer and his whole outlook on life, it means that that person does not understand Christianity very well at all. And he's right. For to address God as Father means that you understand the gospel well. It means that you understand that the Son who's been eternally in the bosom of the Father has come to bring us that we might be with him there and that we who have rejected him might be brought back. Brought back not merely as creatures but as children to enjoy the abounding love the Son has always known. What a powerful truth. Prayer doesn't make you more acceptable to God. Instead, prayer is a growing appreciation of what you've been given in Christ. And the Father delights to hear your voice. Uh, you know, without being an egomaniac, I can say that one of the first thrills of my life in having children was to hear them call me dad or daddy. 
That was a thrilling moment to me when they responded to me that way and they called me by name. And I loved to hear their voices calling out to me. I didn't really love to hear the crying, but I loved to hear their voices calling out to me. I loved it when my grandchildren called me. I'm, my grandfather's name is Popo, P-O-P-O, Popo, because I'm a posy. But that's it. And when they call me Popo, I still like to hear, I still like to hear them say it. I still like to hear my girls call me dad. I love that because I love to hear their voice. And I'm an evil father. You know, Jesus said, if, if evil people know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more does your father in heaven give good gifts to you? He loves to hear from you. And that should, that should light you up as one to pray and not make it such an onus, burdensome task Maybe your prayer life's not that way. I hope it's not that way. And I hope you know that you can come to him. But if prayer is communion with God, and it is, then, uh, and, and, and another thing I want to say about participating in the divine life, you do understand that standing at the right hand of the Father is the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our great high priest. And every prayer I pray and you pray, he takes and presents to the Father as his prayer. Because we're in union with him. He presents it as a beautiful petition. Sometimes you say, the words don't come. I don't really know how to pray. I'm not that good at it. You know, my favorite prayer in all the Bible is Peter sinking, help! That's a prayer, help! Sometimes it's all you can say, help me! You ever been there where you're so broken, nothing can come out? In God's ears, that's music. That's beautiful. He loves our dependence upon Him. And the Christian life is not growing in independence from needing Him so much, but rather growing in a greater understanding of how desperately we need Him. If prayer is communion with God, it can take place in many forms, and we don't need to try to fit God into each day. Um, our prayer life is, shouldn't necessarily be different from the rest of our lives, not something separate, but it flows from communion with God. It's like a son being with a father, and you find yourself praying intuitively. And uh, you find yourself offering up prayer uh, driving in your car. Don't close your eyes. You also offer up prayer uh, at all kinds of times. You're sitting in a, a waiting room, in a, a, a hospital emergency waiting room. You're praying, you're praying, you're praying. It, it doesn't have to be allowed and in a certain order to get God's okay. But it is important that you come in the name of Christ. The, the problem that many of us have is I don't feel like praying. What does that tell me when I say that to myself? You know, I don't really feel like it today. I don't feel like talking to God. I don't feel like talking to anybody. What does that tell me? I'm praying in my own name. I'm praying in my own name. And in Jesus' name, I can go before the Father and say, You know what, Lord, I don't feel like praying today. Help me. Nothing wrong with that. Everything right with that. That's what it means to pray without ceasing. Now, since I'm only getting one message on prayer, I'm kind of going all over the place, but my purpose is to get you to see what it really is. 
And, and we've sort of laid so many accretions on top of it that we've lost the essence of it. It is a child talking to his father. It is that simple. And it is depending on God. In the inter-Trinitarian relationship, the son depends on the father. And as we exercise our belief that he is the fountain of all good and that without him we can do nothing. If God was simply a single independent person, not a trinity, but one single independent person, then independence would be being like God. It would be a great thing, a godly thing. But the Son was always dependent upon the Father. And being a Christian is about receiving and asking and depending. As a Christian, we should uh, never feel more self-sufficient, but always feel more needy. You know, I've, I've been a Christian. I've been at this for some 45, maybe... I think it's 47 years that I've been a Christian. And today I can tell you that I understand my needy, neediness far more today than I ever did any other time. And they say, well, that's because you're getting old. No, it's because I'm understanding more and more every day as I get to know God and I get to see Him how broken I am and how broken we all are and how needy we are. And so, prayer is enjoying the care of a caring, powerful Father. It is the antithesis of depending upon yourself. It is saying no to our independence. We are needy receivers, and we depend as a, as a child. What about the role of the Holy Spirit in prayer? The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit helps us. The Son does everything He does in the power of the Spirit. And we know that in Genesis 1-2, the Holy Spirit hovered over the chaos, the tohu, vabohu in Hebrew, the nothingness, the disorder, the chaos, and then brought it into order. And so the Spirit of the uh, Holy One, the Holy Spirit, descended upon Jesus in His baptism. Baptism. The Spirit drove him in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The Spirit stirred up Jesus. And the Spirit stirs us to cry, Abba, Father. We're no longer slaves, but sons. And the Spirit is the wind in the sails of our prayer, making us know we are loved. He pours out God's love into our hearts, according to the book of Romans. Prayer is not one, a one-way conversation, but we are brought into divine fellowship. And the Spirit intercedes for us. He knows our weaknesses. And true intimacy is a, an acquired thing that develops with honesty as we pray. And so the Spirit makes us Christ-like as we pray. He helps us grow in our dependence and our, our desires begin to echo those of God. Just like in a father-son relationship, his passion becomes ours. He becomes our intercessor. And we pray and pray as a result of the Spirit's prompting in our hearts. 
The Spirit also brings us together in fellowship with God. He is the Spirit of fellowship. He stirs up the love of the Father and the Son that they have for each other. And prayer is embracing Christian reality. We are needy. We are children of God. And prayer brings us together as God's family. There is something about corporate prayer. There's something about communal prayer. And that's what the Christian life is in a nutshell. The family, uh, of the family of the Father coming together to share his concerns. Prayer for each other is compassion. Prayer for each other is being family. So any church that doesn't place a premium upon prayer is missing the boat in many ways. Um, there are all kinds of occasions, all kinds of opportunities for us to pray. But I close with this. Prayer is enjoying the life of God. Let me say that again. Prayer is enjoying the life of God. It is the chief exercise of faith. He wants to hear me. He longs to bless me. Each person of the Trinity is for us. The Father longs to hear, gave up His Son so that we could have access to Him and a relationship with Him. The Son did everything for us and upon the basis of His own righteousness is our access to the Father. And He is our priest before the Father who presents our prayers to the Father. And the Father answers accordingly. And finally, the Holy Spirit is our intercede. He intercedes for us. So prayer is in reality the deepest communion and fellowship with God we can know this side of eternity. It is the ultimate statement of dependence upon God. And so the Son gives us the right to come with boldness. He is our great high priest who is filled with brotherly affection for us. And so we exercise our faith by praying. As we think about self-diagnosis, uh, I remember reading a book by J.C. Ryle years ago, and the title of the book was, Do You Pray? That was the title of the book, and it was a skinny book. So I thought, I can be spiritual and read this one, you know, no time. It's the most convicting book I ever read, because almost on every other page, he asked this question, Do you pray? Do you pray? Do you? Do you pray? Prayerlessness is sin. It is the fruit of pride and arrogance and independence. And God resists that. He resists that. But he gives grace to the humble. Who are the humble? The humble are the people who pray. I, uh, in the front of your bulletin, put a quote. It actually comes from B.B. Warfield, and I want to read it for you. Do we not see that thus the very act of prayer by its reflex influence alone will tend to quiet the soul, break down its pride and resistance, and fit it for a humble walk in the world? It is the a very nature of prayer is a confession of weakness and need of dependence, a cry for help, a reaching out for something stronger, better, more stable, and trustworthy than ourselves, on which to rest and depend and draw. 
No one can take this attitude once without an effect on his character, and no one can take it in crisis of his life without his whole subsequent life feeling the influence in its sweeter, humbler, more devout, and restful course. No one can take it habitually without being made merely by its natural reflex influence a different man, in a very profound sense, from what he otherwise would have been. So prayer figures in large in our transformation, in our reception of grace. Do you pray? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the wonderful gift of prayer that you have given us. And of course, we must always ask for your forgiveness in our neglect of this gift. Sometimes we don't pray because, again, we're resentful. We're resentful that our life is not working out like we planned or hoped or desired or dreamed. We look around, it seems other people's lives are going well, but ours is not. And so we resent it, and when we resent you, we don't talk to you. We don't ask you because we don't believe we can trust you because we feel like you've hurt us by not doing what we want. Lord, deliver us and forgive us for our resentment towards you. And other reasons we don't pray is because we like to run our own lives. We like to be in control. We have idols that take your place and sap our prayer life. Father, I pray you would lead me and all who hear this message into a deeper, uh, more wonderful, uh, more rich and uh, engagement in prayer with you, celebrating our participation in the communion that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit enjoy. Now, Father, as we continue to pray, may we give back to you a portion of that which you've entrusted to us, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.